I, uh, that picture I want you to see, that's actually a picture of my door, and uh, I, uh, my office door. And I really love it that when I preach a sermon, that people get it, particularly when teenagers come and put uh, owl plate signs on my door. Tash, are you here? I know it was you. And uh, I know what you were trying to say, but congratulations on getting your pea plates as well. And uh, you give her a clap. Yeah. But talking of driving, we're talking about driving again, and, and Mr. Eddie, very excited. Mr. Eddie, where are you? Mr. Eddie, very excitedly told me this morning that they renewed his license for another year. Woo! Another learner driver on the road for another year. Well, we'll talk about that. Um, all right, where, where are we going? How to make disciples. How to make disciples. Luke 24. And Luke uh, and Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Now, a, a, a very important buzzword today is the word culture. Have you heard of that word, culture? It's not the thing that goes in your yogurt. Culture, by definition, is the whole way that people do things. It's the whole way we do things around here. So when we talk about culture and Australian culture, we're talking about the whole way that Australians do things. Now, I have been in Australia for nearly eight years, and I'm still trying to figure out Australian culture. I'm still trying to understand the nuances. And so I want to give you seven observations of Australian culture. And hopefully you'll agree with them. Maybe you won't. Odette's are, Odette's are really looking at me funny. Anyway. Let's go with the first. <laughs> Here's the first one. Australians are irreverent. And what I mean by that, Australia is one of the few places in the world where you can say g'day and mate to your boss. Where swear words are tossed around the dinner table as liberally as salt and pepper and where we continually slag off our politicians. Second observation is that Australians are egalitarian. That's a very good thing because Australians are very much into the fair go thing, aren't they? Everybody gets a, a fair go. They should be given equal opportunity. A third one is that Australians suffer from tall poppy syndrome, which means that Australians, generally speaking, are very disparaging of people who have wealth and success and those sort of things. A fourth one is very interesting, is that Australians eat their national symbol. I mean, there are 50 million roos all around the place. It's a national icon, and we eat them in the form of a steak or sausages known as kangabangas. What a word, kangabanga. Anyway, keep going. Fifth one is that Australians love a drink. Did you know that Australia is a very thirsty country? It really is. In fact, according to the World Health Organization, outside of Europe, Australia is the third thirstiest country when it comes to booze in the whole world. A sixth one is that Australians are obsessed with sport. We don't need to say much about that one. And the final one I want to give you is by way of observation, and you can ask me, if you don't understand this one, you can ask me after the service that Australians are city slickers and they are beach bums. Now, if you're not sure about that one, chat to you afterwards. Now, the culture 
of the church and therefore the culture of BBC, the whole way we do things around here should be one of making disciples. That should be our culture. That's the way we should do things. Uh, we heard it over and over in the last few weeks. Go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. That's, that's our mission. That's our motto. That's our, that's our mantra. It's our mandate. We, we, we don't want a Baptist culture here. And we're a Bustleton Baptist. We don't want a Baptist culture. We don't want a comfy culture. We don't want an entertainment culture. We don't want a personal preference culture. We don't want a toxic culture where everybody is fighting and scrambling for their personal freedoms, rights, and needs. We want a discipleship-making culture. And this uh, picture that I'm going to put up on the screen, it comes from the, uh, the vine and the trellis. Ooh, that's not so great. We'll, we'll work with that. Um, this, this, this picture in front of you gives, gives an idea of, of what a a, a, a discipleship-making culture is all about. And, and this bit over, over there, the, the gap, is where we're moving to glory in the new heavens and the new earth. And what I'm going to do is I'm really going to unpack that picture for you by using the Scriptures this morning. Now, just as, as we begin, I want you to have a look over there. I want you to have a look there on, the, on, on that side in the domain of darkness. All people are here, right? All people start here. Everybody is in the domain of darkness. Everybody is under the judgment of a holy God because of their sin. And what we want is that we want people to move over here. We want people to go from the domain of darkness, being unforgiven, and we want them to come into the kingdom of the Son. And we want them, once you're there, is we want to be moving as learner drivers, as we spoke about last week, we want to be moving more and more to the right together, more and more closer to maturity in Jesus, closer and closer to the perfection that will come one day. That's the whole way we want to do things around here. We want people that are here to come here, and when you hear, whoa, wrong way. And when you hear, we want to be moving together to the right, closer to Jesus. But the particular question that I want to answer this morning is this one. So how do we do that? How do we make disciples? So if you look at that picture again, and I hope it will come up, the question is, how do we get people from there to there? And if we go, and if we're there, how do we get people moving ever so slowly more and more to the right to be like Jesus and towards glory? How do we make disciples? It might be an obvious question to you, but here is how someone has put it. And I think this puts the confusion into the pot. Preach the gospel at all times using words if necessary. 
Now, I want to debunk that myth because you know what a myth is? A myth is something that is untrue. That statement is simply untrue. And there are at least two major problems with it. The first one, it says that you can actually be saved without hearing the gospel. And the second problem with it is that it puts lifestyle as something more important than sharing the gospel itself. How do we make disciples? How do we get people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun? And when you're in the kingdom of the sun, how do we then make disciples of one another? And I want you to take you to our passage this morning. If you've got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 24. And let me just sort of set the context for you. Jesus has physically risen from the dead. Uh, He has appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, and as they, they see him suddenly, they haul back to Jerusalem. They go and tell the other disciples, we've seen Jesus, we've seen Jesus. They're all together. Jesus appears to them. He shows them his hands and his feet that he's risen from the dead. He asks them for something to eat. And then in verse 45, it says this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So in this question of making disciples, how do we do that? Let me give you my first heading, and it's part of a statement that we're going to keep on building until we end at the end. And here's the first statement. We make disciples by speaking the gospel. We make disciples by speaking the gospel. Have a look at verse 46 again. What is the gospel? The gospel is the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel. The good news that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And it's this gospel for the forgiveness of sins that's got to be preached to all, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem and then to the ends of the earth. Disciples are made by preaching the gospel. And I want to change that word preaching and use the word speaking. And I'm going to use the word speaking because it's a much better word. Because when you hear the word preacher, what do you think? That it's something only the the preacher does. It's something only the the pastor does. It's something only the evangelist does. It's only the, the called one, the special one, whatever that does that. Disciples are made as we speak the gospel to whoever we come into contact, wherever they are, making the most of every opportunity. So ask the question this way. How do we make disciples of non-disciples? Speak the gospel. How do you make disciples of disciples? Speak the gospel. It's not the gospel for non-Christians and something else for Christians. It's not the gospel for non-disciples and then worldly wisdom, the power of positive nonsense, and moral inspirational pep talks for Christians. 
It's the gospel for the salvation of everyone who believes, and it's the gospel for those who have believed. We could put it this way. It's the gospel for salvation, and it's the gospel for sanctification. A a disciple is someone who has come to believe in the gospel always. And a disciple is someone who is then seeking to apply the gospel to their lives in every single way. Applying the gospel to their marriages, to their work, to their studies, their parenting, their recreation, their friendships, whatever it might be. You don't become a learner of Jesus and then it's all about 10 steps to a better life, a healthier life. A disciple is someone that is always seeking to apply the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ to their lives. Here's how Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Do you see it? That's what a disciple is. Someone that is taking the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, they believe in it with all heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then becomes about applying that. How does the death of Jesus and how does the resurrection of Jesus, how does that shape my life? How do we make disciples? Whether they're a non-disciple or whether they are a disciple, how do we make disciples? We speak the gospel. Second statement. We make disciples by speaking the gospel by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Now, if you've got your Bible open again, have a look at Luke 24, 49, where Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So as we go and speak the gospel, we do it by the Spirit. The Spirit is in us, therefore He goes with us. But when we talk about speaking the gospel by the Spirit, what we mean is this, is that we are trusting the Spirit to bring the conviction and the conversion of the souls we're speaking to. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. When you and I speak the gospel to people, we're not the convictors. We're not the conversioners. That is the work of the Spirit. And that is so liberating. Why? Because if the Holy Spirit is the convictor and the conversioner, we can leave that work to Him and we can concentrate on being faithful to the message of the gospel that we've been given to speak. And also, if we're not the ones that are convicting and convergening, it means that we, when we call people to repentance and faith, we don't need to cajole them. We don't need to uh, donkey bite them. We don't need to somehow manipulate them, harangue them to make confessions of faith. Let me show it to you this way. Beautiful verse, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6. Paul, right into the Corinthians, it says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Or another transversion, but God makes it grow. We plant, we water, but 
God makes it grow. God brings the conviction by His Word. God brings conversion. Just a couple of verses down, same passage. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's, or for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. I mean, is it not an extraordinary thing that you and I are God's co-workers? He's drawn us into this process of making disciples by speaking the word. But we've got our place, and, 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 and we mustn't get it confused with God's work by His Spirit. Here's a wonderful little quote from Colin Marshall, and here's uh, what he said. Just a great quote. He just said, All of God's people have their mouth opened to speak God's gospel by His Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. Spot on. Right, here's the third aspect. We speak the gospel by the Spirit in supplication. Supplication is a word for prayer. We speak the gospel trusting the Spirit in deep dependence upon the Lord in prayer. I mean, if it is the Lord's Work, if it's the Spirit's work to convict and bring conversion and, and growth, then we need to be deeply dependent upon the Lord in prayer. Now, let me show it to you in, the, in that passage. So, if you've got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4, which was read for us by Rob. And I, I want you to see all three aspects right here in this passage, and I'll show you another one. Colossians 4, verse 2 Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we might proclaim, speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Do you see the three elements there? Can, 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 you, can you see the, the speaking bit? Where's the speaking bit? Proclaim the mystery. Can you, uh, can, can you see the spirit bit? That God may... Open the door. That's the work of the Spirit. And can you see the prayer bit? <laughs> Devote yourselves to pray and pray for us. You see it? We speak the word of the gospel by the Spirit, trusting the Spirit in a deep dependence upon prayer. Now, look at it. let me just show it to you again in, in this verse. In Ephesians 6.19, again, Paul, Paul says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I might fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you see it there? You see the word speak? Speaking the gospel. Spirit, it's the words given to me. Supplication, pray also for me. Now again, when we're, when we're doing this, when we're speaking the gospel in a, in a prayerful dependence upon the Spirit, it's not just for those who are not disciples that we want to be disciples. We also do exactly the same thing for those who are disciples. Let me show it to you. Same passage, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. We speak 
the gospel in prayerful dependence upon the Spirit, both to the non-disciple to become a disciple and for the disciple to become more and more like Jesus. Here's the fourth element, and this is where I'm going to major for the rest of the time. We steadfastly speak the gospel by the Spirit in supplication. We steadfastly speak the gospel. The word steadfast means we do it patiently persevering. We patiently persevere in speaking the gospel by the Spirit in supplication. Now, I want you to have a, um, a look at that uh, picture again. And, and I, I, I want you to just keep it on there if you can at the back. I want you to just have a look at this uh, with me. And I'm going to just turn this around so I can talk you through it. And, and saint, I want you to remember that, that, that that's, that's, where, that's where you are, okay? That's where you are. And so saint, just remember there, and, and by what's happened is by the gospel having been spoken to you again and again, at some point, you've come over here. Okay, you with me? At some point, you've come in to that space. But here's the thing. When you, oh, there's a better picture. Okay. Oh, cool. All right. So when you've come from there, uh, Christian, when you were there and you've come into here, how much control did you have over that? How much influence did you have? How much power did you have? Naught. Whenever it was that you were taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, that was the Lord's timing, wasn't it? So what that means is that we need to be patiently, perseveringly speaking the gospel to those in the kingdom of darkness, trusting the Lord's time to bring them in. We don't know when the Lord is going to do that. So we have to be patiently persevering and speaking the gospel. Remember that verse again in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, I planted the seed. Apollos watered and God made it grow. Let me illustrate it this way. I, I, I don't know if you're anything like me. Well, I hope not. You're probably saying, thank goodness I'm not. Um, I, I'll, I'll speak the, when I speak the gospel, when I speak the gospel to, to, to non-Christians, to, to non-disciples, you know when I speak the gospel, I I hope there and then every single time conversion is going to take place right in front of my face every time. And that's a good thing. That's a great expectation. And in fact, that has happened a number of times over, over my years as I've spoken the gospel. But it doesn't happen like that way most of the time. And so what I need to do is I need to keep on speaking the same gospel to the same people whenever I get that opportunity, relying on the Spirit to bring conviction and desperately praying and praying and praying that the Lord will bring about the growth. Christians will often ask me things like this and say, well, Paul, at, at at what point do you stop sharing the gospel with someone that has refused it and refused it and refused it? At what point do you stop speaking the gospel? And my answer is, 
when they're dead. What I'm about to share with you, I share with permission. On Thursday morning, on the 10th of October, that was around 10 days ago, I went to visit a man in the hospice who had been given weeks to live because of cancer. A man who had refused the gospel his whole life. There and then beside the bed in that hospital, I spoke the gospel to him. I called him to repentance and I called him to faith. And after I had done that, he put up his hand. And I said, what are you putting up your hand for? He grabbed my hand. And I led him to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins. On the 21st of October, exactly one week later, he was dead. We keep speaking the gospel Trusting the Spirit in prayer to bring about the growth. You don't stop until they're dead. Back to my old picture. But here's the question I want to ask now. We, we got that bit, all right? So, so we, we keep speaking the gospel uh, uh, this way. But then, okay, well, how does, this, how does the deal work here? What does, this, what does this patient speaking the gospel to one another look like? Why do we need to keep on speaking the gospel to one another? We're all disciples. If you were here last week, you will remember that we are all what? We're all learner drivers. Now, just for a moment, I want you to imagine, could you imagine, could you imagine what it would be like if every single person on the road was an outplater? Can anybody imagine that, what that would be like? I'll give you a picture. This is what it would be like, not that one. That one. If every single person on the road was an outplater, we'd absolutely want to pull out our hair. Every single disciple of Jesus who has come to believe is a Christian outplater. We're all learner drivers together. That's why in the church, sometimes, often, maybe always, we want to pull our hair out. Why? Because we're all learner drivers. And if we're all learner drivers, we're all messing up most of the time as we're seeking together to try and drive better for Jesus. Now, I need to be honest here. I'm not a very good instructor of outplaters. I got into the car with my one son, and after one lesson, it was enough. Three years later, I got into the same car with my second son, one lesson, and it was enough. 
I mean, I get in the car, I'm getting so frustrated. They keep on stalling the car, driving too fast. It's too close to the vehicle in front. They're not indicating. I mean, it's just, it's going on and going on. They're getting so frustrated because I'm shouting at them. They think they know it all. It goes on and goes on. And I needed to find somebody else who was a lot more impatient to do that. Bless your soul, Eric Farmer. Where are you? You are my hero. You're a saint. That's it. Welcome to the church. Welcome to BBC, where we're all as disciples, a bunch of owl platers, all trying to figure it out, all trying to go, all trying to drive better for Jesus, always messing up. And that's why we need to be patiently what? Persevering with one another as we drive together. I mean, the reality is, is there anybody out there that's arrived? Are there any Christian P-platers out there? Are there any, is that one, poor farmer, is that a hand? Are you just moving your glasses? Okay. Are there any Christian, like, full licenses out there? Well, there, there, there isn't, is there? Because the bottom line is none of us have hit that sort of sweet spot of holy perfection. In fact, the more you mature, the more ungodly that you see that you are. Now, as, as Christian people, we're saved, we're saints, we're going to heaven and all that. But this side of heaven, we're still sinful saints, aren't we? We're still sinful saints. We still live in a sinful body. Paul calls it the body of death in Romans chapter 7. We have a body of death that generates all manner of evil that we continually seek to indulge at various times. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The problem is, because if we forget that, we start to treat each other as if we should all have what? P-plates or full license as Christians. That's how we treat each other. And then, because we've dropped some sort of golden standard, we start to berate each other and rip each other, criticize, get judgmental, because so-and-so is not where we think they should be. Let me put that picture up again. And Dale, sorry, I think you might be right. Oh, you've got, the, got that one. I want you to just picture yourself over here, right? Just keep that picture up if you can, please, Audrey. And keep looking at it. You're over here, right? We're all learner platers. We're all driving together. I want you to understand. Look at that picture. Learner plater, Christian learner. I want you to realize that that, that that is wherever you are in the continuum, wherever you are in that space, that's your unique journey. And your learning journey and where you're at and how you're going to grow is uniquely nuanced for you. And as we start moving together, you're going to grow at the pace that God says, not the pace that someone else says. If you're a learner plater over there, I want you to understand this this morning. Your, your, your background and your upbringing is uniquely yours. Your journey to Christ and your journey with Christ is uniquely yours. Your particular sinful nature is uniquely yours. It's almost like your sinful nature has got a unique sinful fingerprint on it. The Holy Spirit is working in all of us, but He's also working in us individually. The Vine and Project, or the Vine and Trellis Project book calls it differentiated learning. Differentiated learning, which means that as disciples together that are learning and going closer to Jesus, we need to, we need to learn 
to see each other where we're at. We've got to see each other where we're at, and, 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 and we've got to be trusting God through the gospel to move people further and further to the right, closer to Jesus, closer to maturity in God's timing. In the same way that you don't expect a, a you don't expect someone that has just started at med school to become to instantly be able to do some great surgery, do you? Where's Dr. Hunt? Where are you? Dr. Hunt, did you do a, an operation the first day you hit med school? Please don't say yes. No, you didn't. I didn't think so. I missed that bit. Never mind. Okay. In the same way, someone that enters med school, they're not able to do surgery instantly. It takes years and whatever. In the same way, when, when, when someone becomes a brand spanking new learner disciple of Jesus, we don't expect them to be somewhere else down the line full of maturity, do we? Understand this morning that if you've grown and matured in some way, and wherever you are in your growth, whatever God has been doing in your life, you are where you are by God's unique journey for you. And He's growing you at a pace and a time that's according to His timetable, not anyone else's. The problem is, again, if you forget that, if you start to get all critical and all judgmental and all wired up because learner drivers are not driving like you. What that means in practice as we seek to disciple one another with the gospel is it means that we need to always stick with one another. It means that we've always got to come alongside one another. It means that we've, we've got to be encouraging one another. Of course, point, pointing out sin. Church discipline may be necessary at times, but we do it in an atmosphere of humility. We do it in an atmosphere of prayerful dependence upon the Spirit for Him to bring conviction and growth and change. We're all a work in progress. We're all learning to drive. That's the way it's always going to be. We're all battling our sinful natures, our particular DNA sinful natures. We're all groaning in the body, waiting for that final resurrection of Jesus to come. What does that mean in practice with one another? It means that we have to do more listening to one another than speaking, actually. We need to listen to each other's stories. We need to listen for the nuances of how God is working and when God is working. It means that you take the plank out of your own eye before you take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. No, listen, not only, not only is salvation a work of the Spirit, but sanctification is the work of the Spirit as well. Right, just about done. Let me, uh, there's the statement. How do we make disciples? We steadfastly, we patiently speak the gospel by the Spirit in supplication. To non-disciples, to become disciples, and to disciples that are becoming mature disciples.
We could put it this way. It's disciples making disciples, and it's maturing disciples making maturing disciples. Now, one last look at that diagram and five questions for you to consider this morning. first question is to ask yourself, where are you in this picture? I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here, if you're in the domain of darkness, if you're in that state of unforgiveness, you're under the judgment of a holy God for your sin, which is unforgiven, I want you to know this morning, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is enough to save you. It is enough to bring you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. The gospel is enough to save you from death into life. To give you the forgiveness of sins. To give you a relationship with God both now and for eternity. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Believe in Him. Come and find rest for your soul. Here's the second question. Do you know your grace? What do I mean? You got an idea where you are on the, on the sort of learning continuum? Do you know that you are a learner driver? Do you know that you, you're always a learner driver? Do you know that you've got a long way to go? And do you know that where you are is where you are, and where you are is where God has put you by His grace? And it's God's grace and God's growth and God's timing and God's Spirit through His gospel that will move you along to the right. Do, do you know that? Do you know your grace? Do you know that growth in grace is a work of God's Spirit? The third question, do you know others' grace? In other words, you realize that, that, that wherever anybody else is on, on, on this side, they are where they are by the grace of God? You understand that God is working in their lives. He is producing the growth in His timing and His way. And do you understand that, 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 that there, are, there are learner drivers behind you and there are learner drivers in front of you? And it's God's grace and it's God's time. I want to change that question slightly. Not so much, are you a gospel encourager, but will you be one? Will you be one? Understanding that growth only comes through the gospel, by the Spirit, dependent on prayer, that you will be a patient gospel encourager. Would you be that to your brother and sister here in this place? Would you be a patient? Would you be a, a steadfast gospel 
encourager. And then finally, would you be a gospel, a patient gospel speaker to those who do not know Jesus? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your mom, your dad. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's an auntie, an uncle. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's the boss at work. Maybe it's the person on the sports field. Maybe it's that friend at university. Whatever it might be. Would you patiently speak the gospel at every opportunity, trusting the Spirit and putting them before the throne of grace? Let's pray. Father, I simply pray that may we as your people steadfastly speak the gospel to one another and those that do not know your Son, trusting your Spirit to bring gospel growth and maturity. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.